Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim Zadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. All right. Uh, Mariah, this is my first time recording in like six weeks, so I might be a little rusty. But... Is it really? Okay. I guess we haven't yet been on a call for a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute, but super excited for, for this episode. It has been a long time in the works. Uh, we've got Casey, founder and CEO of Skylab Media, and we are uh, really, really, really excited about the emerging partnership between Skylab and Malomo. Um, but for today, really excited to have Casey on. Like I said, I think we've, uh, I've rescheduled twice. Casey's rescheduled twice. So, uh, it's been a long time coming and, and pumped to finally be here. Casey, thanks so much for joining. Thank you. And thank you for having me and may the fourth be with you. <laughs> oh yes. You had to give it to us. We, yeah, I haven't heard that today. So, um. <laughs> Casey, are you a big, uh, Star Wars fan or just cause it's May 4th? It's just May 4th. I actually never watched Star Wars in my life. So. Okay. I only watched it for the first time, like all of it, all the way through probably a couple of years ago. So I'm, I feel like kind of on that train. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like it's a shock every time I say that. Everyone's like, what? You've never seen it? And I don't know. I just never have. So sorry for all the fans out there. <laughs> Now it's too long of a running joke. I'm sure that you're like, I have to keep it running. You know, that's like a good fun fact. Yep. For sure. Um, before we get into it, uh, Mariah and I actually hung out with a couple of your, uh, I guess it'd mm-hmm. be your employees, your teammates uh, at Shop Talk. We missed you, Casey, but Dan and Rob hopefully had good things to say because we had a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard all the good news. I definitely had FOMO, and I know my team, Dan and Rob, are great, um, not only with Skylab, but all of our partners, and I'm glad that they had a good time. And I personally, so with my staff, I really do like to treat them a step above. Um, I don't know if you guys heard of JSX, but it's kind of one of those like private jets that you can technically take from Burbank to Vegas. So I mm. wanted to treat them extra special and uh, I flew them out there and um, it, they had nothing but a blast as well. So, How do we get on that list? That's amazing. <laughs> I haven't heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not that bad of a price. I will be honest. So it's the price itself usually is kind of like flying from LA to New York, typically around 400 to 500. But I mean, you know, you got to treat your employees good. So I wanted them to get that extra special treatment. So <laughs> do you think if like, if we become like one of your best partners, you might also. <laughs> Who knows? I might. Who knows? Maybe there's like a raffle in the next event that we have together. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, man, we had we had a blast in Vegas. They're great guys, and uh, they were hustling for sure. So you got some good ones. Uh, all right, before we get into the shop talk, tell us one or two things that you're excited about in your personal life. Well, I'm really excited right now. I've been training for a half marathon. Um, mm-hmm. I actually grew up playing sports my entire life. So it's definitely instilled within me. And I definitely wanted to get in the best shape of my life. So not that I'm already not, but you know what I mean? I'm always, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always training. And so uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. And I'm just looking forward to getting back to the LA weather. It has yeah. been a nightmare in the winter. It keeps going and going and going, but apparently it's going to be back in the 80s and 90s next week. So I'm really looking forward to that. Just those two things top of mind. What about you guys? You're not going to get a whole lot of sympathy from Mariah and I. (laughs) We live in Indianapolis, so uh, we've had, you know, I know that it's been unseasonably wintry in, uh, in LA and I think all of California, all of the West Coast, but yeah, for us, it's it's always brutal. And it's just been, it hasn't been super cold this winter, but it's just been gray for so long. So mm-hmm. we are very, very excited for the sunny days ahead. I think we're on the same schedule. Like next week should officially welcome like the, the summer weather for the foreseeable future. So. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely understand those winters down in Indy. Um, I'm actually from Illinois. I think yeah. some of you guys know that, but... I definitely can understand the harsh winters, um, but always a Hoosier fan as well myself. Okay, appreciate that. Love that. <laughs> yeah, Mariah went to uh, Notre Dame, so she's up there. Oh, up sick. There yeah. Yes, yeah, it was really, really bad winters, <laughs> um, just with the lake effect and how chilly it got. I'm from New Jersey originally, and so winters are pretty similar, Indianapolis and New Jersey, I'd say, but hadn't ever seen winters like South Bend. Um, very yeah. similar. I've been told to winters in Chicago. I visited for like, oh my weekends, God, but it's insane. Yeah. yeah like Oof. I grew up, I grew up in Illinois. I went to school in Chicago for my undergrad and I'll never forget how unprepared I was. I was, it was during those polar vortex and oh I was my God. in my yep. younger twenties. And basically from the moment I stepped outside of my apartment, to the bus stop to head to downtown. Um, I guess I didn't like dry my face enough and my like eyebrows, my eyelashes like started to freeze. Oh yeah. From, from 30 seconds of being outside. I'm, it's brutal. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we, we had a polar vortex while I was at school as well. And I remember um, it was after like some practice one day and all of us with like longer hair, it just froze. Like we had to wait so long for it to defreeze because you're like it's gonna snap like it was it was crazy like head to toe skin like can't be showing it was like so scary wild yeah um but those days hopefully are no longer in my future (laughs) yeah i definitely don't miss it for sure we we also have a couple uh marathon notes so you you're running half marathon is it your first time uh no so i've done team marathons before i've done half marathons i've done half marathons just on my own um one thing that i really love doing is just running on tch in malibu 
Yeah. And I'll just, because there's nobody around. So those are like my favorite types of like running exercises. But the last half marathon I did was in Chicago years ago. But I was, that was a long time ago. I can't remember. So yeah, it's different. I, so one, there's a, the indie, indie mini marathon is here, which is like a big event where people actually come to the city, you know, from out of town to run. Cause you run around the uh, motor speedway where the Indy 500 is. And that's really cool. And I think Mariah's uh, rooting some friends on this weekend. Is that right? Correct. Yep. I'll be on a bike. <laughs> I don't feel like running. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I did uh, I did a half marathon a couple months ago in Fort Lauderdale, and I did zero training. I had Ooh. similar to you. I did um, I had run like up to fifteen miles, but not in like a race setting before. And so I ran a casual ten miles, which was my first run of twenty twenty three, the weekend before. And okay. I was like, okay, like no problem, I can run this thirteen point one, and. Uh, I did, I finished in like decent time, I thought, but, uh, my legs were so messed up (laughs) for so long after that, like a full week of legit pain in my legs. And, uh, I will not, I will not do, I will run another half marathon and I'd love to run a marathon. Um, but I, I, uh, will be training next time. That's the lesson learned the real question though that I have is did you stop at any point during your run? Yeah, I stopped for gel packets like two or three times and I stopped for to tie my shoe once or twice. Uh, oh, you gotta just keep going. You gotta like, just keep running and take some shoes off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Forget them. <laughs> Leave them behind. <laughs> I'm not uh, you know, not qualifying for any Olympics. So I think uh <laughs> I think I'll uh, pass on that, but yeah, it was, uh, I did, I did. It's not like I stopped to walk, but I did stop like, uh, for a few seconds here or there. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good luck, man. That's, that's, uh, it's fun, right? Like I really enjoy the, uh, I've, I've done a couple other races, never a half marathon before like that, but they're fun when it's like in that community setting. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love sports running i mean i grew up doing that and i'm very competitive i mean i take that in my personal life and yeah. you know with our company too i'm right extremely competitive and um this is a fun fact you know um not to brag or anything but my fastest mile it's a 359 so oh my, oh my god crack away you deserve right. it with that oh, oh my god <laughs> that <laughs> that's is impressive yeah, we had, uh, I think for like high school basketball, you had to be able to run under a six minute mile. And I, every time was just like, so unbelievably close to not, <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> I can't imagine cutting two minutes off of that. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Like it kind of helps, I think, just because, um, growing up like year round, I just swim like I didn't uh club so yeah. it's like a year year round thing I I just think I built up the lungs to be able to run that that long I don't know it's just I, don't, I feel like half of it's genetics to be honest so yeah yeah probably and then there's like also the the competitive aspect that's like I don't care if I you know lose a leg I'm gonna <laughs> run this mile in under four minutes mm-hmm. uh very cool man 
Okay, so let's get into uh, into Skylab a bit. Um, we have to ask, you know, the founders that we have on the founding story, but would would also love to learn a little bit more about like what led up to you know you founding the agency. Yeah, so you know, fun fact: I actually used to work at Hawk Media, Mute Six, Client Boost, mm, IBG yeah. Media Brands. So we just, we my- just posted the. Uh, we just posted the episode with Eric from Hawk today, actually. Yeah. Yesterday? This Eric. week. Uh, this mm-hmm. week, yeah. It's Thursday, Noah. <laughs> yeah. Feels like yesterday, but yeah. On yeah. Monday, we posted it. Yeah. Eric and Tony are great guys. And I think during that time, it was around 2016. So that was kind of when they started to take off. Um, and I got to work closely with Gian and a few others. And I think just overall, I, my whole background is in marketing and advertising. I've been doing this for over a decade and I got to have that firsthand experience in different growth stages of marketing agencies and their businesses. And so over time, I started to realize, you know, missed opportunities with agencies, not from a CEO level, but from an employee level. And you know, growing my career in that regard. And I think I had a very valuable experience that not many founders have when they start a company in that regard. So over time, I just, for me personally, I'm, I always look at myself as a leader and I possess those leadership qualities. And so I wanted to take what I learned from these agencies and apply a better way of doing things, not just with, uh, client relationships, but also with employees and how we treat our staff. And I think when you combine those two efforts, it's great because you always get to have a better retention, better quality work, and therefore you're likely to have better outcomes with all regards in a structure. And so one of the things that I started right away when starting Skylab back in 2019, which was focusing on differentiators and a sense of how we brand ourselves, our organization structure, how we respond to client uh, feedback and relationships, and also obviously be performance focused, making sure that clients are consistently going above the bar with their KPIs. Um, And so just over time, we continue to grow. And uh, we are here where we are today with Skylab. You know, the company has been around for four years. And each year, we just continue to get better and better with our efficiencies, our staff operations, our client relationships. Um, and, you know, I pride ourselves in a, in a sense that our customer retention rate is around 90%. Wow. Um, and that's without any outside funding. You know, the company itself has bootstrapped this entire time. We're now in the process of getting a round of funding, but... I think just to go through four years of not having any funding says a lot because, I mean, for me, I can't believe I didn't wait. I can't believe I didn't start any sooner, to be honest. So, yeah. So I think what's really interesting is like you had all this experience with other agencies and thought you also possess leadership qualities. And I think a lot of people would just naturally think like, well, I'll just like become a manager, you know, and a people leader within these much larger orgs where they have access to merchants and have the scale, right? That you you would be missing as a bootstrapped uh, startup agency. 
what do you think like possessed you to be like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to do this on my own. Well, I think, well, a couple of things. I think one thing that I've always looked up to was the leadership at Mute 6, Stephen in particular. I think that his attitude really inspired me to kind of look at myself and be like, well, if they can do it, why can't I? I mean, there's America is a capitalistic society, um, the land of opportunity. And so because of that, there's so much opportunity to start your own business. And I just became more and more wanting to start a business. And I think it's just something I, for me comes natural. I've always enjoyed businesses. I've always enjoyed the entrepreneur spirit. And so I felt like it was the right time to start that venture. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I think that we are kind of similar in that same vein. Like I, I think about, well, especially in e-commerce, like, I don't know about you, Mariah, but it's like, you see these different brands, especially the ones that are like kind of silly, like with one little product offering and they have mm-hmm. 500,000 monthly visitors. And it's like, <laughs> what? Like, why am I not doing something about this right now? <laughs> yeah, it can be very um, tempting. I feel like I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself entrepreneurial in spirit, but like more on the creative side. Um, but yeah, I do. I do see that a lot in e-commerce where it's, it kind of feels like there's a pull that might, you know, influence <laughs> wanting to own a business. Yeah. Yeah. Fun space. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, bootstrapping for for first four years also, like I I imagine kind of risky and scary. How many employees are you, are you guys at now? So we're keeping it pretty small. I mean, overall the staff, we have six full-time employees, but we have around 11 contractors and then we have an outsourced agency for our creative and for our web development as well. So I think, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of companies, they kind of flex on how many employees they have. But if you're smart with your overhead costs, I think it's more important that you have the right players in space that are full-time. But that's definitely something that we're forecasting in the next couple of years to grow the company um, in terms of our headcount. But that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah, man, that's, you guys have done so much with, with the lean and mean team. And I also like not to discount the partners and the, you know, contractors and other agencies that you, that you work with. Cause I think that making sure that all of those different pieces fit cohesively, you know, is a big part of your success as well, that probably can be overlooked by others. Um, But, you know, from my perspective, Casey, you guys like you guys have blown up over the last, I don't know, eight months or so. I'm seeing Skylab everywhere. And I'm curious, have you done anything differently? Because I know that like our interactions have also picked up while I'm seeing more and more of Skylab just organically in the space. So curious, like what your thoughts are there? Anything that you guys are doing differently or new approaches you're trying? Yeah. So that kind of segues into our approach with partnerships. I think, you know, when we look at marketing, advertising, and how we approach Skylab, 
I think there's several ways that you can go about it. You can do organic content, paid advertising. You can align yourself with strategic partnerships. And I think that's where we found our niche. Um, myself and my team, we're pretty people-oriented. I We've loved working with others. And a lot of our partners are in the LA area to begin with. And so Dan, who's our head of partnerships and sales, he came up with a brilliant idea of developing exclusive implementation packages with our partners. And so his whole background is from Ragnarok. And okay. that that's their whole business model as well. And so we wanted to take that similar approach, but make it our own. And by aligning ourselves with other partnerships that are in the GDC space that are all Shopify oriented, it makes sense to work together. And so we developed some very unique product offerings around that business model. And I think it's definitely coming into fruition, all the hard work that we're putting into that program. And we just honestly got, we put our head down and we really focused on, okay, what's going to drive the needle? What's going to make, how are we going to take it a step further? How is Skylab going to um, kind of penetrate into the market? As you know, it's um, not a blue sea anymore, definitely red. And in that regard, we have to stand out in some ways. And if there's a company out there that doesn't know who Skylab is, but we align ourselves with a very familiar partner like Malomo or Akendo or Attentive or Rebuy or whatever it may be, people right. are going to look at that as validation, social proof. And so, I mean, I can say it all day long, you know, I'm, I worked at Hawk Media, I did this, I did that, but what does, what has the company done? What have we done to prove ourselves in this space? And because of that, it's definitely uh, starting to turn around and in a sense of, okay, like client relationships definitely are starting to pick up on that fact. So I'm pretty proud of our team. Yeah. I obviously I'm super biased, but I love that approach because uh, <laughs> it's basically that approach. That's the reason that I have a job uh, as a, you know, as a leader of partnerships. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I heard this quote uh, earlier this week, I think maybe late last week. I don't know what day it is, but um, <laughs> it, was on a, it was actually on like a, a partnership podcast. And they talked about how like in this day and age, it's so much less about what you know. Um, and it's more about who you know, in the sense of like, in the old days, people went and looked for information online, like oh, I want a reviews platform. Let me go type that in on Google. Like how many brands do you think are actually going to Google right now and typing in return or like uh, what I say, reviews platform? They're going to their networks and saying, we need a reviews platform. Who do you guys recommend? They're going to the people that they trust that have like been there before, um, like been to the place that they want to be at or where they want to grow to before and asking them what they use. Um, and I think yeah. the mindset around like realizing that and then developing strategies to support that that's just the reality of the day and age that we live is pretty much like critical, uh, mm -hmm. especially in our space. It's so community driven. One thousand percent. And I think I can take it a step further and say that, you know, when you're buying a product and you have a friend that has purchased it as well from a tangible standpoint, you're going to ask questions about, oh, like, where did you get that product? Where is it from? 
do you like it, et cetera. And that's the same thing when it comes to agency and partner relationships, because your network is your net worth. And it's super important to align yourself with the right partners that are going to give you credibility and a solid reputation. And I think we've been able to accomplish that over the last six to eight months. In addition to, I think kind of the aha moment for me was, okay, what's something that is missing in the gap between partnerships and agencies? And I think far too often, a lot of agencies with respect tend to look at partners as a lead gen driver in terms of what can you do for me and how can I be of service to you when really it's how can we work together to be the best of both worlds. And I think if you come in at a genuine approach, you're more likely to get a favorable response compared to just in a way kind of being greedy. I think every agency, every partner will have this moment at time. There's enough to go around. And if you just stay focused and really make sure that uh, you spend time and you bring value just by even being yourself, that does go a long way. And people do take notice of that. So. I definitely agree. I mean, for example, one thing that I really love doing is, you know, our offices are located in West Hollywood, California. We're right across from Soho. And one of my favorite spots is called The Edition. I know you guys have heard yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, we're right next to it. And, you know, one thing that I've always been told is, you know, find a spot that you love going to introduce yourself to all the staff, the managers, really, you know, put yourself in front of that audience. And then every time you bring a client or you meet up with someone for a potential networking event, bring them there. I mean, when you you demonstrate, you know, your environment and you treat your your staff, your your people, uh, close relationships well, it, it really does magnify the person that you are and the company that you are that much more. So we do that often too. I mean, it's a plug, but I love that place. I mean, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, they have a couple. I, I think I've been to a couple of their other like properties, but I haven't been to the one in in WeHo. That's cool. That's good to know. And also like a great, uh, great tactic that you just laid out that we haven't heard before, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it's powerful, right? Like you walk in and everybody greets you by their first name and is happy to see you. What do you think that person that you brought there for the meeting thinks? Like Exactly. <laughs> pretty natural like psychology there social psychology there um but yeah i love the approach you guys have taken with with tech partners and with us and one of the things that are themes i think that came out of or that i thought of when you were talking casey is if you think about your like if i think about all of our agency relationships as just revenue drivers i am not doing my job well and the reason i'm not doing my job well is because Revenue shouldn't be at the center of any partnership that's real goal in all of this is to like better serve our merchants, right? Mm-hmm. The merchant should be at the center. If we put the merchant in the center, we start to think about creative ways that we can bring value to the ecosystem outside of just like direct revenue producing things. One of the things that I love about our relationship with Skylab is you guys have brought ideas to us on how we can do co-marketing together, um, how we can take some stuff off of your plate and vice versa from time to time to help us get more educational content and thought leadership out into the marketplace that can help, you know, 
the merchants that we're either currently serving or that we'd like to like to work with over time. And then revenue sort of comes as a result of all of that, but it shouldn't be like the first and only thing that's thought about in the vendor to agency relationship. Um, and I think that Skylab's a little bit unique in that approach, to be honest with you. Uh, what, yeah. are, what are your thoughts? I agree. And I think that I've met many merchants, many clients, potential clients. I've met many opportunities. And I mean, I've been to networking events where often brands are approached um, and they see the writing on the wall. They see that they're trying to, you know, sell you, sell down my service to them. And I think when you get a genuine response where you focus on the merchant, it, it works out in the long run because one, you're trying to make sure that the brand is successful with their KPIs and their growth as a business and what their needs are. But then again, coming together as an agency and a partner to provide solutions that go hand in hand with their strategy as the ultimate win because as an agency we're helping the partner be stable in their approach with maybe implement uh an implementation showing the value to the client on why you should work with this partner and then in return the client ends up getting more value because they're getting growth from a consistent manner you know we talk a lot about retention life cycle efforts and having the right partner stack is crucial for any brand today to drive success long-term. And when you take it in that approach, they're more likely to be receptive to potentially trying a new product or a plugin. But if you do it the other way around and you just say, hey, like we recommend this, or when you're talking to a new prospect and you just go up to them, you talk like, hey, like have you done X, Y, Z? They're gonna just see that as like a poor sales tactic. So when you combine both efforts, I think, kind of going on a tangent here but you get the idea no i i don't think it was a tangent at all i i agree with all of it um and you know i think that that's that is a that is something that makes uh skylab a little bit unique um in, in a positive way in my opinion outside of that you know, it's kind of going uh, a step further on the preferred tech stack. I'm curious um, if you want to share sort of some of the tools that you're that you're working really well with. Um, that's cool. No pressure there. But I'm curious more so, like, how do you evaluate what uh, what technologies, because there's so many in the same category these days, uh, you're going to you're going to end up working with implementing, recommending to, to clients? Mm -hmm. Well, we always let's take it a step back. So when we talk to a, a, an open opportunity um, or whatever it may be in the sales cycle, we really look at where they're currently at um, within their business model. And then we ask them what their goals are in terms of this month, next quarter, uh, month or year over year. And based on that discovery, we then look at our MarTech solutions and identify what solutions at that time would be best. And so it could either come down to the pricing, their, um, in terms of if they have the budget, if they're looking to meet more aggressive goals with their MER or their ROAS, 
or they're looking to try something out as a beta opportunity and then further implement down the line because every brand is at different growth stages. So mid-market to enterprise, they might take a little bit longer to cross implement a, a new partner stock, whereas a mom and pop shop or startup, they're more likely to try something out right away. But it, again, it really comes down to aligning with what their business needs are. Because at the end of the day, like we can recommend 10 uh, merchants or 10 solutions for that merchant. But if you know they're not hitting sales or maybe they're restricted with their budget, it wouldn't make sense to recommend all 10. It's more taking a, uh, a crawl to walk approach. But that's kind of how we identify it with potential clients. I think, you know, we're always going to recommend uh, partners like Malomo, Rebuy, Okendo, uh, Triple Well, Northbeam. Those things are kind of crucial to look at your attribution and sales, retain customers from start to finish, make sure you're on brand, have those reviews. But at the end of the day, if you don't have sales coming in, what are those platforms good for? So that's why we always lean in on performance marketing um, in the DDC space first. And then over time, uh, if once we start to see a positive return, we'll slowly uh, recommend uh, implementation uh, packages or MarTech solutions that are a good fit for them. Got it. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an awesome way to think about it. Kind of, again, putting the customer at the center, right? Based on their needs um, and where they want to go. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, some agencies for better or worse, right? They um they have a preferred tech stack that they sort of recommend up front uh to most of their merchants and that that can work too, but um a more tailored approach especially when you're working across different verticals and different, you know, sizes of merchant in terms of capacity on their end, uh employee count, you know, and different growth targets, I think I think that makes a, a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and just keep in mind, Skylab itself is a full service ad agency. So right. it's not just one service. We don't just focus on a, a niche of like performance marketing. Like we do it all because we recognize and the data shows that customers at any size, they don't want to silo all their work. You know, they don't want to have a different agency for every single service. If you're able to get a one-stop solution, for any brand, it's better for them because you're gonna have a core pod, you're gonna have all, uh, you're gonna have everybody in the same room working on the same uh, problem at hand or solution at hand. And so it makes sense to offer more than one service at any time, should the budget fit the need of that brand. That's yeah. how we always approach it. And I think also too, it's just, um, you know, really figuring out what they value, the, the customer, the brand itself, like what do they value in a relationship, whether it's from an agency or a partner and how it's going to best fit their needs. Um, you know, honestly, like personally, if I were starting out brand new agency and I'm trying to get the most revenue possible, of course, I think a lot of people make the mistake of saying, hey, we recommend 10, 20 partners, you know, cause they get a rep share, but does that really make sense? You got to really step back and ask yourself, like, are you doing any service to your customers? You always got to think about the customer first before honestly think about yourself at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I'm I'm sensing a common theme here. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So that's great and and great perspective. I am uh, really want to get into like one uh, one or two projects that you've worked on recently, Casey, to sort of illustrate what you just talked about. Like, how does that approach a full service? Um, and you know, the approach that you take with tech partners translate to a recent project that you've worked on. Yeah. So I would say our partnership with Bella doll, which is a premium, uh, apparel brand out in Los Angeles. Um, we love working with them. It was two years in the making. Uh, we've been working with them for quite some time now. And when we first started working out with our brand, you know, they were at a point in time where they're starting to see rising CPAs. The attribution model has changed and maybe some of the, the way of doing their performance marketing has been the same month over month, year over year. So they had brought in a new e-commerce manager who really wanted to switch things up in a sense of, okay, how can we drive the needle? How can we make sure that we get more sales, but uh, lower that CPA? So, over time, we've been working with them very closely on that. And I would, I'm very proud to say that our performance marketing team on page social and page search has been able to do that, but also add on to, okay, what are some partner stacks that we would recommend? And so we've been able to slowly integrate um, partners like Okendo or Yapo or uh, Triple Well, for example, all of these partners that are going to be of benefit to them and their customers and stuff. And so we've actually been working really hard on lowering their CPAs on meta platforms. Believe it or not, we've been very successful in that. And it just comes down to the framework and the structure of how we set up their uh, entire campaigns. Now we're starting to expand on other platforms like Pinterest and a few others that I don't want to reveal yet. But our partnership with them is awesome. I love everybody that works there. Our team does too. And, you know, they treat us well just as much as we treat them well too. That's awesome. Do you feel like you've figured anything out in Meta or, Fa or Facebook um, that's like scalable? Uh, just in terms of, I know yes. there's fun going on and it's not really my wheelhouse, the acquisition side, but I am interested in it. So like, is there anything that you sort of had a revelation on that you think you could scale well, to other clients? In some ways, like you think it would be a lot more complicated than it is. Sometimes you're just staring right in front of your face. One thing that I've always seen work for any apparel brand, even when I was a media buyer back in the day, were running product feed campaigns, specifically for those that are on apparel, just taking their product feed, constantly updating it, uh, based on collection or product view or seasonality, whatever it may be, and just running data campaigns on that and making sure that the campaigns itself are broad and using certain placements because there are times where you pull in the product feed and maybe the images don't fit the requirements of Facebook, Instagram, Instagram stories, whatever it may be. So it's just becoming because everyone nowadays, they're always saying be broad as possible because of the the Facebook pixel and iOS and whatnot, right? In a sense, that is true, but you can still be granular in all of your targeting. You can still have different data sets and target based on that product collection. You can still A-B test, add copy messaging. You can still 
do a lot of things that are very intent based and still keep it broad and scale. Obviously, you want to wrap that up and remarket users based on whatever intent it may be and identifying that with the brand and what their needs are as well. Um, that's kind of approach that we always take. And I think doing it incrementally as well and not just, you know, pouring $100,000 in one week or one month. Um, I think if you, in my opinion, slow and steady wins the race, and that's with anything in life and going back to running a half marathon, you know, if you just jump out the gate and put all your energy at the very first week, you're going to fatigue, you're going to basically lose out. And it's important to look at brands, your business in terms of longevity, you know, that's how we look at it. So yeah, I think I think definitely another unique perspective there. Um, and that's I think that's really helpful uh, tactical advice as well. Um, so we just talked a little bit about acquisition, which is a little outside our our comfort zone, Casey, but well within your wheelhouse. Let's shift over to retention. Um, given we're on retention chronicles, we always have to ask this question. Um, what do you feel uh, like retention just means to to e-commerce brands? How what's your what's your view on it? And what do you feel is an area that brands regularly neglect when it when it comes mm-hmm. to retention? So personally, retention for me is keeping your customers for the life of your brand. So what I mean by that is focusing on your lifetime sales. So what does that mean from a business owner? How can you properly forecast your business model? How can you make sure that you're purchasing the right amount of inventory each quarter, uh, making sure that these products are fulfilled and shipped out to your customer, all while making sure that everybody's happy and, um, you know, to your employees, to your uh, inventory order guys, to the people that are ordering your products, your customers, whatever it may be, it's very, uh, it's a it's a hard balance at the end of the day. So one of the easiest ways to maintain your customer base is looking at the value of that customer. Often, like we just talked about acquisition, so many brands focus on that first purchase, acquiring that customer. But what are they doing to retain that customer? How can we make sure we keep them locked in and ready to purchase time and time again? So I think it's so important to make sure that when you're looking at your LTB, 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 what does that actually mean? And making sure that you're all, you're constantly looking at new ways to excite your customer base, whether that's a subscription model, whether that's keeping your, your, your order on brand, such as using Maloma and keeping the excitement with that customer from start to finish making sure that they have an experience. And again, like an agency, brands are constantly trying to stick out and get someone's attention to purchase a product. Once once you've done that, what are you doing to keep that customer? And it's really important to know your KPIs, to know the value that you bring to your customers and to keep them excited. And it's constantly engaging them with new content, new product feeds just keeping it fresh i mean you know just because you have a product and it does well the first time you know people are going to forget you eventually so it's constantly thinking about i mean it's 
with life in general. So yeah, <laughs> you just gotta, yeah. yeah. We've, we've had a lot of like, you know, business or e-commerce lessons that apply directly to life lessons as well. Uh, mm-hmm. love it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think we, we talk a lot about what isn't so awesome, which is just like how insanely expensive it is to acquire customers. And it's no longer like, because, because the first, the days of like first purchase, um, you know, profitability are so far gone. It's like you, there is, it's not just like you shouldn't acquire net new customers if you don't have a plan to retain them in for like in, in get them to buy more, um, get them to buy the second or third or fourth time or whatever it, it costs to make them profitable. It's literally, you will go out of business. Like mm-hmm. it's no longer a nice to have. Um, the, the reality of the situation is in today's world, like acquisition cannot just fuel all of your growth. You must grow through uh, retention because if you churn that first customer after their first purchase, and you do that repeatedly, you will literally be out of business. Yeah. And, and think about it this way. You know, when you think like a consumer, think about it this way. You purchase a, uh, like a hat for the first time and you love that hat. You love it so much that you want to buy more, but they only have one product. Naturally, you're going to look at the competition and see what they offer. Mm-hmm. And then your, your competition not only has that same exact model or same hat that you have, but they have them in different colors or they have different products that you can purchase to eventually become a uh, repeating customer. And that's how you get, how that's how you develop a loyal fan base is by offering more than one product and um, just, yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Great point. I think things like, you know, subscription programs or paid membership programs or loyalty programs also feed into that a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that pretty much all of those being impossible without uh, more than one product, but you get where I'm going. Like there are ways, there's always ways to think about maximizing um, LTV and driving repeat purchases beyond just, you know, um, more SKUs, right? That is correct. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're 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 coming up at time here. Great, great lessons learned. Um, give us because you know it's been an awesome journey for you so far, working at some of the biggest agencies, most respected in the space, and then starting your own. Um, certainly a unique and and very cool path. Like, what are one or two things that have helped you get to get to where you are today, Casey? Yeah, so personally, I think one of the best life lessons I think would be really important to know is never give up, continue to keep trying. You know, running a business is very hard. People just look at how much money you make or look at how successful you are from a uh, kind of a holistic overview, but they don't see how hard it is to day in and day out run a, a business. And you can literally apply that to your personal life as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that people don't talk about that, you know, the world doesn't want to see of you, but it's really important that you stay true to yourself and you keep going even when it's super hard. And those are people that are successful that win at the end of the day, because nobody likes a, a quitter. People want to keep going. They want to work with the best of the best. And part of that is your attitude. 
I think one of the things that I've always, you know, took with me is, um, you know, your attitude does make a big difference. And you have to put yourself in an environment where it's conducive about that. So if you're not happy somewhere, you're working at a company that you don't like, whatever it may be, leave. I mean, the world is your oyster. You can do anything you put your mind to it. But just always know that you cannot give up even when things are tough. Um, there are a lot of business leaders. There's a lot of people that are very successful, but they had dark days too. So if you just keep going, keep trucking along, you're going to be just fine. And that's what people see. They respect people personally and professionally for uh, keep going, um, even when, you know, it's not all great. So I always like to say that because I think it's very important to have that attitude. I love it. I it, I talked to my sister earlier and something you said in there made me think of a conversation we had Uh I like how you said, you know, successful people or the people that you view as successful, right? They've certainly felt the same way that you do right now or the the way that you did uh, when you're going through a tough time. And what I'm realizing, like, as I get older, I think is like, when you're going through a tough time, there's very little that can make you feel better. Like, you just kind of have to suck it up and know that like, this is a season of winter and like, there is a summer around the corner. But one thing that does actually help me at least is knowing that like, when that summer rolls around and you get out of that dark season, um, you'll be better off for like having gone through those hard times. Like you wouldn't be to where you are today, Casey, without going through some of those trials and tribulations mm -hmm. you know, earlier and you'll go through more and you'll have more success as a result of getting through that. So, man, I love that lesson. Mariah, Thank you. anything? No, I think this is wonderful. I agree. I don't think anything else I could add <laughs> um, would benefit. I think you, you both expressed that very eloquently. Yeah. Very cool to uh, hear you say that. Like I said, after a conversation I had very similar uh, with my sister earlier. Yeah. So, Casey, man, this was so awesome. Like I said, long time coming, but well worth the wait. Uh, can't wait to get this out to the public. Probably around the time we've got some other cool uh, content between us coming out. So exciting. Oh yeah, that's right. For our partnership mm -hmm. and exciting time for Skylab uh, in general. So really appreciate you taking time and um, we'll certainly be, be uh, collaborating again very soon. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure just catching up and uh, talking about all things e-commerce related and i hope you guys enjoy the rest of the day and not only that but the people out there listening uh keep going and uh we'll be talking soon awesome thank you thanks Mariah. thanks casey thank you bye